It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the third episode of the third season of Colony. This one was called... Mixed Signals. Mixed Signals. I guess that's referring to a couple things that we'll explore as we go through the episode. Join us on our safari. <laughs> All right, let's start with the opening of the show. The, the flashback with Dispatch turns out she is a doctor. She wasn't full of shit. Right? Legit. And she has a conscience. It's all CHs in there. Conscientious. And she gets roped into helping this dude that looks like he's been shot in the brain. That looked like a dire situation. Even with modern medicine in a normal hospital, that looked like, I don't know, DOA, man. Do you agree that this was probably the rendition we were seeing um, when everybody comes out of the hospital and they're like, something's going on in oh, L.A.? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. They, they're watching from afar and the, the, the various uh, aerial machinery was headed that way. Yes. You know what I, I've thought about the rendition and, and this kind of backed me up a little bit was. No, what? What were you thinking well, about? I mean, it, they must have killed a lot of people right off. Right. And then killed more people along the way because those ships were not that big. No, they were not. They were smaller, right? And they didn't have like a thousand of them. They just had a few of them. So you think it was more like a marathon, not a sprint? Just kill, kill, kill? I don't know what to make of it. All I can guess is that there's not as many people as I thought in that part of LA. So that that amount of ships would handle it, I guess. That's probably true. Because if you remember, you know, the way that they sort of clumped them together like the green zone and then there was the area that the Bowmans lived in stuff and definitely it was like they didn't seem to have like next door neighbor-y kind of you know people were sort of like scattered mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I would agree with you very much and and in that way I said the word scattered but that wasn't really what I meant people had kind of clumped up into different little sections but I think there was like a lot of communal area. living yeah a lot of communal living for good reason you know that's really the the gist of it I think we're supposed to learn that a, she's a doctor for realsies. And, yeah, she's and, not some sort of jokester. And B, she can get pulled in to worthy causes. Well, and you know what? Maybe if you wanted to really stretch that, you could say that she's very empathetic and, you know, like empaths in general, like have a very, uh, they're very susceptible to things. And as we see how she feels about this whole green city we come across, it's possible that, you know, her empathic ways makes her very susceptible to whatever's going on there. I feel you may be right. Oh, well, let's dish on it, Paul. Let's catch up with Broussard and Dispatch. They are on their little way, uh, trying to make their way north. Progress is slow. Can we call her Dr. D instead of Dispatch? Okay. Although we don't mean Dr. Doom in this case. That was never a question. <laughs> if y'all were listening and wondering if I meant Dr. Doom, you're like totally on the wrong podcast. There are some cases when you would mean <laughs> Dr. Doom. Today's not that day, though. So uh, Dr. D and Brusardo um, are checking out these truck guys. Did you feel like these truck guys were going to be friends or foe, Paul? Uh, foe, but not a problem Broussard could not handle. 
if they, light. If it went that way. Yeah, they Folicious. were. Folicious. right. <laughs> so, yeah, they turned out to have troubles of their own that Dr. D could use her compassionate ways to to try to win them over with her brain, her medicine ways. Broussard was on to something when he said that they are amateurs. And I think he was right to walk and probably should have kept going. This could have really gone wrong instead of just wrong for them. <laughs> exactly. But I think that Dr. D's empathic ways are, are going to be both a strength and a weakness. And this was showing the weakness side to me that she was, you know, going to get pulled into those situations where somebody needed help. And that was going to slow Broussard down significantly and put him in danger that he himself would never have volunteered for. Mm hmm. So what did you think about this plan that they had to try to go get supplies? They had to prove themselves by helping the wife get this medication for her ailments. And they're going to go try to do that sort of, um, you know, at that part on Super Mario Brothers when like the bricks are coming down, you know, or the spikes are coming up either which way. And you have to like time it. Yeah. And run through. That's kind of what I was equating this portion to a real what was his name? Bowser. It was a real Bowser situation. Bowser was the was the boss name. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real Bowser sitch. If we were to survive the host apocalypse. Right. And we never would, but yes. Um, we would end up being those truck people that Yeah, we would. Like, can anyone help us? We're so lame. Some shit for a family member yep. that was under perilous conditions. Yep. So I guess we see how that would turn out. We would just get waxed <laughs> yeah that's like a foregone conclusion paul we as soon as the aliens showed up we would have to kiss each other goodbye and be like i don't know if it's today or tomorrow but we're dead so it's been real daily review it's a fact <laughs> it's a fact so did you foresee the way that this was going to go down did you think that when no. they went into the pharmacy which very felt so distinctly Walking Dead. It did. It oh did. my God. It felt exactly like Walking Dead. Specifically, I can think of a scene where Maggie and Glenn go into a pharmacy mm -hmm. in town yep. and things go bad. A hundred percent. And I swear to God, even wasn't there even a fear of the Walking Dead when they were in something like that? I don't know. I'm mixing up all my apocalyptic sitch. But the main thing is that obviously a pharmacy is a key place to hit anytime that you're, you know, the world's going to shit, y'all. Hit a pharmacy. Get to your nearest CVS or Walgreens. That is classic post-apocalyptic fiction staple right there. Yeah. I mean, read the stand, read anything, and you'll there, there will be paragraphs about, well, I went to go check the pharmacy because, you know, always someone has diabetes or Oh, the diabetes something. is for sure. And yeah. So, the sugar so, yeah. is going to get you even if the zombies or the aliens don't. I did not foresee that it would go 100% wrong for the truck team. When that truck started just wailing at the pharmacy, I was like, what is going on here? Did you figure it out right away or what? No. I like to lose myself in these things that I watch unless that they are so dumb that I cannot. And we're not there with Colony that things are so dumb. We're far from it. And this particular shot, yeah, we had the clomp, clomp, clomp kind of sound in, growing from the background, but the way that it uh, revealed the walker with the truck kind of coming from, what was it, the right side to the left side of the screen, 
And once it did that, it left a gap behind it where you could see walkers converging on it. I loved that. I, I, I thought that was great special effects cinematography, and I thought it all worked just great. So I just let it happen. It reminded me a whole lot of like a Jurassic Park scene where you see the truck or the thing first and then the T-Rex like pounding after them you know you don't see it at first at first you just see the speeding vehicle and you're like what the frig's up with them and then you're like oh that's what's up with them i have to wonder what because i'm a nerd i have to wonder what the um walkers use as their censoring system and their and their friend or foe detection because in in the first episode some bushes hid the bowmans and we don't know if maybe since they were out of bounds they were uninteresting or like for whatever reason they were like they they weren't yeah not even just uninteresting but like i don't know beyond the scan radar right range and skater i'll call that and in this one broussard and dispatch all they can think to do is jump in a dumpster you know and like just cross their fingers i mean all they think to do i thought that was pretty darn smart yeah well there's limited options firing on it sure isn't a good choice all by yourself after it's just pasted all the truck guys into the ground and in in red goopy piles that was wild i mean because that wasn't just like they were dead like they fell down that was like uh infinity wars like right you, you just don't exist it just anymore. turned into fall leaves that got rustled away in the wind were you um, surprised that the that the dumpster was enough to protect them? That is what I was saying about the sensors. It seems like that would not be enough if they were using something that picked up heat. Ah, okay, heat. Okay, that makes good sense. It's got to be something else, though. They You're, seem to need to see it. Which makes me wonder if it's being piloted. You know how we were saying that? Yeah. yeah. Because that would make the whole thing about, like, you know, if some of a human eyes or somebody else's, like, eyeballs in the actually pilot seat needs to be able to see the person, then, you know, I know the dumpster with the lid closed works. These are probably what Proxy Snyder was referring to as the reason you don't want to be outside the walls. Okay. At, at least these things, right? Okay, okay. If, if it moves, they shoot it, pretty much. Yes. They have I, to see it move. <laughs> but yeah. I agree with that. So Dr. D and Broussard do make it out of that crazy situation, and they're continuing to hike, and that was so odd with that weird magnetic field that they saw. That was like, I was like, am I seeing what I'm seeing? Did you understand what was happening right away? I did because you, you're all about magnets. Well, I'm all you're a real Don Herbert over there. <laughs> I'm more of a Mr. Wizard. I'm not very nice. To- <laughs> <laughs> I bet Don Herbert's not nice to the kids in real life either, even when they're not on stage. He's equally mean. He's probably extra mean in the parking lot and stuff. If you're not sure what we're talking about, Google or on YouTube, look up <laughs> Mr. Wizard is a dick. Hysterical. <laughs> you'll you'll find the proof is well in the pudding. He's always there. talking to the kids. He's like, "Well, you're doing it entirely wrong." <laughs> Why'd you even come over today? <laughs> As if it's like his actual house, and they live next door. He's so mean. Oh God. Okay, so you did. You totally knew. You instantly were like magnetic field to doy. Yeah, I mean, and... I noticed the little little tiny shimmer of her necklace just floating there. Not that I'm looking for that kind of stuff, but I did notice it. Yeah. Okay. So what did you think it was going on? What is, what does a magnetic field even mean in our post-apocalyptic world? What is this? It made me think that they were standing above something, not, not near something, but above something. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess I just don't know how magnetism works that well. So I thought it was about repelling kind of from the axis from which it, you know, the the pole faces. Do you know what I know about magnetism, Paul? Not how to say it, but what I I know about it is that I equate it with friction. You know, like if you rub like your hair in a balloon and stuff, then you get static static electricity. Shut your lips. Oh my God. But the point is, is that what I'm trying to say is that maybe when they came over the ridge and they see this green city, Maybe there's like some sort of, I don't know, I like I said, I equate it with like a centrifuge or some sort of spinning, some sort of friction, some sort of movement that somehow creates like magnetic field. This is just something I've made up completely. It's just what I'm going to call Caroline science. Don't go on your college final and write a paper about what I just said. I'm just saying I equate it with friction and or spinning. And it may not be magnetism. It may be gravitational. You know, what? it just, but it just needed the, the effect was so faint that it only impacted very light things where they were at. Okay. I like that. Which, because there's know, obviously other metal things having to do with them. Now, the green city you just mentioned, let's describe it a little bit. It looks sort of like a, who's the, um, looked exactly like the Emerald City. Well, who's, who's the architect that makes the wacky shaped uh, buildings? Is it Geary? Uh, I don't know what you mean by wacky shape. Organic. Oh, uh, let me think on it because it's not coming to mind right away. But let me think. Let me think. Go ahead. Well, it had a very organic kind of shape because it was uh, round and it looked, it was hard to judge the scale, whether it was a very large building or a small city like Caroline mentioned. It was definitely hard to get that because there was nothing man sized next to it for you to, for you to judge. So, oh. P.S., the architect that comes to mind for me is Frank Lloyd Wright. That's who I was thinking when you just said that. Because didn't he do something that was sort of like that? Um, mm. uh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about that heart, that high V kind of look, right? That that's what that's what you're talking about. Yeah, it's Frank Geary. Yep, he makes funky looking things. They don't have to all look like beans. They just don't really look like normal buildings either. Did, did Frank Lloyd Wright have something to do with organic architecture? He makes architecture that fits into its surroundings. Oh, sad news for you. The term organic architecture was coined by Frank Lloyd Wright. Suck on that. Yeah, but he didn't mean major. he didn't mean it like that. He meant it like fitting into its surroundings. Like environmentally? Right. Like a falling waterfall, if you will. Shit like that. Well, okay. So then if you make something like how, what you're talking about is more like a- The shape itself like the is organic. or like the- It like mimics- mm, Yes. Okay. What's a better way to describe that? Like it, it, the shape actually like mimics things that like naturally grow. How about that? Yes. Is that a better way to say? Okay. Yes. Or a different way to say? Cause yeah, cause like when I think of when I when you said organic, that that made me think like you said, like more like looking like it blends in. But there was nothing about that green city that blended in. So yeah, you're right. So it was sort of more like it's supposed to look like it could have been a part of like a like it could have grown on its own. Now we've only seen a couple of other host buildings, and they look very traditional far-thinking sci-fi, you know, like very large. I'm thinking of those landing pads, the one that we saw saw in the in the episode last season in Switzerland, I think it was. It was a super tall building and it had 
kind of a penthouse level at the top. Yeah, I was kind of like sort of like a slick though look, right? Like a modern kind. That's of look, what that I was getting at. Yeah, that right. That's what I mean by traditional sci-fi looking. You know. Like, oh, you meant okay. I, when you said the word traditional, I wasn't. I, you mean traditional sci-fi? So you mean like modern, sleek, uh-huh. like stainless steely? So this is very different than that. This looks like it could be something where wasps live or something, you know, something very Definitely reminds me of a hive look for sure. That like a braided kind of woven look, if you will. Now we know that the flying drones go inside the walls of the colonies and call those things home. But having had a camera stuck on one and so that we could listen and see what mm-hmm. they saw or listen. We couldn't see anything, but we could hear and it sounded like a bee swarm. Yeah, that humming. So I kind of wonder if this building, if it is host technology, is this where the, the walkers go for Ooh, service possibly. or, you know, whatever? It seemed pretty far out there. So I'm not, I don't know. I feel like that glowing nature of the whole thing feels far more interesting like that. And I don't know, I equate that kind of thing, maybe because I think of it as like almost like a radiation kind of glowing kind of thing. Sure. That that makes me think more of like a laboratory or something like that, more than like a machinery recharge building, but more like they're developing something in there. With dispatch fainting almost right away, the radiation th- theory is very interesting. And it's, and it's probably... Um, Broussard's survival instincts were like, we are getting out of here, regardless of the fact that you're fainting, whether if I was interested in it, this isn't going to be something we're we're going to investigate. You yeah, she's the canary in the, in the right. cave, if you exactly. will. Exactly. Very good. And very good. He patted my head, you guys. That's just nice talk. It is nice talk. So where do you think they head in order to get away from this? Away. like they look at it and then they turn the other way and go that way and they wind up in this very cool little abandoned village like if i saw this place on the map i'd want to go poke around a little bit i'm kind of surprised they did not Uh, i really thought they were going to rest there for some reason yeah i I thought it would have made sense to be a little bit just like i don't know take take a take a half a day or something and just like relax for a minute not relax relax but recharge when things are abandoned a very long time you know you can't go in there very long without breathing support but the arrival shouldn't have been so long not like 10 years ago isn't it getting to be more like a couple years ago in showtime but yeah yeah, they, they deserved a rest. Instead, we see them kind of just walking around. It's I think it's funny. Like, Dispatch is like, you know, I'm a radio person, so I guess I need to use the radio, right? Okay, let's use the radio. Somehow this magic radio can reach Seattle from where they're at or, or near Seattle. Yeah, and it was kind of funny because she was kind of like, oh, can you hold on a minute? I need to make a call. Like, I was I'm, like, okay. I'm aware of things like shortwave radios and stuff like that. But I don't know. I thought that those things were like the size of a desk or something like that, you know, that can reach the other side of the world. Generally, I thought radios maxed out after like 100 miles or something. So it's all a little bit confusing, a little bit confusing. Maybe we're just supposed to let it go on that one. Yeah, I guess so. Because I was really surprised the equipment worked. I kind of assumed it wouldn't work. It is always surprising in this show how what they elect to have fully function and what they elect to be like, oh, no, we have been able to get a hold of orange juice for years, you know? (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. 
So that pretty much summed up where we left Broussard and Dr. D and what their adventures were. Generally, I don't have a ton of insight into exactly what was going on with the Emerald City. I do feel like we will find out more. We have three entities now. We have the Raps, we have the invading aliens, and we have humans. Um, who do you think that that city might belong to? I think it's got to be host. I've, I'm reversing what I was saying uh, on the, in the first podcast of this season where I thought that the walkers might be the alien technology after last episode revealed that the attack on the factory was kind of like a brand new thing. And so that ship landing near the Bowman's house was also very brand new. It doesn't sound like they've had time to put in a beachhead just yet, which is what this kind of thing might be if it were them. But I, I still think it's host. Okay. All right. I like it. Well, let's move on to our, Bowman family, they have a lot going on in this episode. We get quite a bit of information. Did you absorb the fact that they had somehow acquired uh, a pretty large apartment for their party after just like an hour of being there? It was like, yeah, like a cabin-ish place. But yeah, it was a spacious spot. I mean, it was like, was this just empty, you guys? It was just extra It's It was like a whole Quonset hut. Just for them. It was. And given how they treat the idea of earning your keep for the rest of the episode, it seemed like that was a pretty big give right off the bat. I like for them. that. You're right. They should have probably been in like some sort of, you know, couple person tent. Yes. Sitting on the ground. Tent would have been. No furniture. Right. They decide to run this operation kind of the same way that they did L.A., where Will is definitely not telling anyone that he's actually an interstellar badass, that he's just some guy with a family to look out for. But he's going to use that position of apparent dopiness to dig in. So what I found interesting is how much they played down Will. They spent time playing up Katie. When uh, McGregor comes in, they all interface with him, but it's really him and Katie that end up having the most screen time together on that whole dynamic. Um, McGregor is the man who is running this camp. We thought it might be Wayne Brady, given that he's the big guest star this season. No, it is not. I it bet. Is do you think Wayne's got maybe in the Emerald City now? Maybe. I mean, he might be the wizard. <gasps> you don't bring in someone with a lot of name recognition and have him be in like two episodes, you know? So they've got to unveil Wayne Brady at some point here, but he's not McGregor. McGregor is a very strict guy. Would you have played it the way that they did where Katie just kind of filled out this book according to just her own experiences with the resistance and absenting anything having to do with Will, having anything to do with the occupation and all that kind of stuff? I think we would have played it a little bit more neutral uh and i mean there there were too quick to me to have katie be like i know everything i know everything like raising her hand at the front of the class for like every single thing anyone ever said to me i mean will played it so much more quiet and sort of just watching and observing i understand that there was a, a huge need to like prove their worth and like prove everything and i, I just i don't think that we would have played it in a way where if we delivered the gauntlet, I think we would have sat back and we would have tried to understand how the camp worked and then very slowly, you know, 
maybe maybe very slowly is relative here, but spent a, at least a moment trying to gain some amount of trust through just like existing there rather than like to me, Katie was too vocal in her like, I know everything. I can help with everything. I, I know everything. I saw everything. I know everything. I thought the same thing. It she seemed kept pushing. like she was just putting a huge target on them. It seemed to me. And I know you guys, I know you might think, God, you're always so hard on Katie, but it's just, I, I thought it was over the top. Like even McGregor tried to kind of be like, cool out, just fill out this book and like, give us a second. It makes no sense that they would allow someone new into the camp and immediately show them all the secrets. Like she's not even playing it like rationally. Like You know, you know what, Caroline? What, Paul? In our last podcast full season show that we did, This Is Us, we were dishing on Kevin pretty hard, right? True. And a fan wrote us several times to let us know that we were that we needed to look at Kevin from a, another another perspective and try to appreciate things from his uh, his angle and by the end of the season we were looking at Kevin through different eyes which we definitely tried hard to to take another look the reason i bring that up is we have been shitting on Katie Bowman for going on 3 seasons now and not a single person has risen to her defense as being like, oh, well, if funny. you just understand a little bit more, no, no one has ever said that. That's true. We definitely have not gotten any hate mail about feeling like we were being too hard on her. And and here's the deal. Like, I'm not even speaking about this from the standpoint of Katie Bowman. I've just watched enough shows like Survivor and those times of Big Brother type shows where when you're in a larger setting like that, you don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. You don't mm -hmm. want to be the loudest, squeakiest wheel. And that's what she was being. And so I'm even coming at it just from that. Like if you were in Survivor, they'd be like, you are putting a huge target on your back. Either you're acting like you know so much and so therefore you're a threat to other people or you're just plain annoying and people aren't interested in being pushed around when you're new. So either which way, like you're not blending in at all. You're just really kind of being too much. That's my take on what she's doing. It works a little bit better than I really thought it should. Like McGregor really unexpectedly kind of bent and actually let her a little bit more a part of it. Were you surprised at that? For that much progress in one episode? Yes. Yes. I mean, we'll, we'll go over where things end up at the end of the episode. But, I mean, they were just there a day. And exactly. So so in this first day of fitting in, I like that um, they have that whole part about where Will is like, you know, taking the kids to, to go to school and the doctor's like offering to give free exams, which I'll be honest with you in the first couple of hours, I would be absolutely refusing any type of physicals for anyone like, oh, really? <laughs> right. You want to like get all up uh, over our bodies? You know what? I'm going to actually say we're feeling fine and. If we make it here like a week, then you can go ahead and check us for scabies or anything else. But like right now, just like, why don't we just cool it, shake, shake hands and move on? That doctor was very not cool with Will, which is, again, why maybe my hackles were up about Katie being so loud and everything, because I felt like Will just tried to be loud a little bit, just a little, ask a little bit extra questions. And the doctor was immediately like, get out of here, you know? Yeah, I would not be surprised if we learned that he wasn't like quite the doctor that uh, he is portrayed to be. Which gross if he's giving exams, Paul. Well, you know, he likes to put fingers into things. Paul! What? 
it's doctory stuff. Nice. That's not what you equate with doctors. We wouldn't understand. We wouldn't understand. Okay, so. Everybody splits up and they have their jobs to do, except for the children. They go to school. Katie is busy writing her book. <laughs> and Spilling their guts. And it turns out that the men are needed for very manual labor. Yeah, they're digging an irrigation ditch. Now, this is another indicator that this is not the place that you want to be, you know, pushing too hard in. As soon as Will is trying to talk with that other guy, he immediately runs off. He starts asking specifically about the other soldier that they knew had been in the camp that they that Vincent had told them that they had lost during an operation. As soon as he starts asking Ed about that same guy, he acts like he never even existed. Not only that, but he's like, uh, can I have my canteen back? And then like literally walks in the other direction. He would have been, you know, a pretty big wheel around that camp probably had had he been there. So everybody should have known him. But Paul, politics. I know it's politics. There's, it's political in this camp, whatever that means. Not, I don't know. <laughs> I would not understand. And I, and I, and I truly mean that. that. I mean, as Paul Daly, I can tell you, I probably would not understand. Well, you know, I want to think you guys think we're pretty smart people, but I feel like every time they say like, it's politics, it's just this weird, lazy moment where they're like, we can't exactly explain the situation. So we're just going to, instead of trying to make a reason why this, this is happening, we just say it's politics. It's just a, just a brush you put on where everything. All right. So Bram's job, hammering, right? Yeah, that was funny. Can you use a hammer? Uh, right. So he. Oh is wait, my favorite hammering. line of the entire episode was, "This isn't my first camp." <laughs> that was my favorite line, and it went to Bram. So look at that, Bram. I'm giving you two thumbs up because you delivered that like a pro, dude. Loved it. And then you got Snyder, who gets stenciling. And what are they stenciling, Caroline? That logo, Paul. That's a small mystery, is it not? Why, I am confused. Do why you have we're any... in a resistance camp, crating up stuff that you're branding back to the, the occupation? Why would that be? What do you have? What do you think about that? Well, if you were loading those things full of like bombs or something, that might make sense. So do you think it's the kind of situation where it's like meant to be a Trojan horse kind of sitch where they're trying to no, send I do stuff not. in? Or do you think that they are suppliers of something and this is their legit box? This whole camp, and I, this this will probably be borne out to be crap very quickly, but this whole camp reminds me of The Matrix. Since you didn't watch The Matrix, let me just spoil it for you. I did watch The Matrix, but go ahead. The human city of Zion is allowed to exist to just kind of, by the, by the machines, who in this case would be the hosts, and once it gets kind of too big and too threatening, they just come kill everybody, which they could do at any time they want, and with the help of the person designated as the one, they collect up enough people to create the next city of Zion, and they just do it all over again in a couple hundred years when it gets too big and too powerful. That, what reminded me of The Matrix was, I think we're in cahoots, like the leadership is in cahoots with the raps in some way, and they're being allowed to exist. That's my guess. Okay, so you think this is just a glorified work camp? Uh-huh. Not so much like a, I don't know what the word is, like uh, like this refugee camp. Right. I like it. Well, so then won't Miss Katie be sad to figure that out? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be completely wrong. I mean, she had to spill her guts in the book, but maybe that was to to gauge her dangerousness level. Well, why wouldn't you have her spill her guts? This is exactly the same move as on Westworld. Is anyone here a leader enough to negotiate with me? Stand up, pal. You're dead. I don't want to negotiate. Isn't that like exactly what could happen? Like they basically handed it to her and were like, here, spill your guts. She's like, okay. Now they're like, she knows too much. Kill her. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's like yeah. your point about the rapidity and attitude of of Katie and the way she's dealing with the camp comes to light in the scene where she goes to talk to Vincent because she's been stymied, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she tries to leave the house and an armed guard starts following her around. She's like, what? What's all this? What's all this? Yeah. She's all... <laughs> it's so funny to me because if you think about it, she went around basically trying to tell everybody how important and like knowledgeable she was. And then she's all like, little old me? But I'm nothing. I'm not a problem. And it's like, hey, you just basically told them that you know everything and have like tons of information. So what do you think was going to happen? Right. Besides, if I do make trouble, I won't wear a mask or obscure You'll my face in any way. You'll see me right there hooting and hollering. So Everyone will know it's me. <laughs> exactly. No, honest to God, though, I'm being realistic. What did she think was going to happen when she tells everybody I'm so important and so knowledgeable? And then she's shocked when everyone's like, well, then we must we must keep a close eye on you what what did she think was going to happen good question i think she thought that she'd be a, just allowed to walk freely of course but not so much that's like acting like you're like king of the of the castle you know vincent's Weird. whole sentiment was it's kind of what we're saying like you need to observe a little more you need to let things play out did you get any other meaning from his his message with her? Not really. I mean, that was really the main thing. And that's the same thing we're saying was like, you know, th- there was no reason. Okay. Let me say it like this. Maybe they should have pushed us forward in time between episodes because when, when we're saying like, it's too fast, you're doing too much, you're doing whatever. Okay. Do I think though, as audience members, do we want to sit and watch them sit back and do nothing? No. So it's fair, like for the for the momentum of the show, for us to like quickly get to the meatiness here, right? But f- from like just like a rational standpoint, it's too fast, too much. It doesn't really make that much sense. Like the Bowmans wouldn't have been this assertive, or shouldn't have been this assertive. It shouldn't have worked, and it. I don't know. It fell off kilter. Like I mean, they basically only had like half an afternoon before this like kind of all falls apart. I kind of wonder, given how long the renewal took to come down the pike last year, mm-hmm. if there's not going to be an attempt to even wrap if they, it up, <laughs> even if they get a season four to make the end of season three enough of an ending that if it had to end, that would be enough. I think you hit the nail on the MF head, Paul, because I think that's exactly what's happening right now. And I, I do understand it. I just wish that they... All they had to do was just move time ahead a little bit. That's that's all they had to do. They had to say, like, I can't believe we've been here for two weeks digging this ditch, you <laughs> right. know? And then we all just would have been like, oh, okay. Like, that makes sense. They've been here two weeks. They've they've gained some favor. They've proven themselves. They've done their work. They've Like you said, they've they've lived up to this mantra of everyone has to earn their keep and earn their, their place here. So now we, like, move forward, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I would have been a hundred percent cool with that, and I and I wish it happened that way. And I do understand for TV making sake why they just 
blew through forward. And so I will try hard. I'm sad then in that case that maybe they made the KDB sort of a sacrificial lamb in that regard, because then honestly, they kind of made her look like a doofus by doing that. But in reality, it was like just to forward the story and we needed to forward the story. The chat between Will and Snyder. Um, I still think that Snyder is trying to get them out of the way so that he can tell the tell the how you say the authority where the resistance camp is. I guess if the if the, if the authority is really interested in the resistance camp, my theory about the, the hosts knowing about them, it's probably not good. But the authority and the hosts aren't necessarily the same thing either, you know. So yeah, right. No, they're not. I agree with you. Snyder, the, the authority is the human. The humans collaborating with the hosts. Yeah. So they're not the same thing. Right. So that's okay to say they're not the same thing. What made me think that is that Snyder can make this argument anytime they ever go anywhere with other people, right? Where he where he talks about the kids have to keep up the lie, and someone might recognize me. You know. Yes, I think it's actually a brilliant brilliant point to continuously make but i think i mean i judging by will's face i'm gonna have to uh suggest that it sunk in on this if he's heard it before it sunk in this time right yeah i think i think it did i think because maybe yeah we saw the reaction of the ditch digger guy and how quick he was to not want to play ball that it was like oh this is not a friendly place you know yeah will smells a rat a little bit, but he, but he, but he knows that Katie wanted to get here so badly. But yeah, I think he's stuck now between seeing that Snyder has a point, even though he may not agree with 100% of Snyder's motivations. And then he's also got Katie and these kids who... He wants them to like be able to settle in and all that stuff, which is totally fair. Yeah. From about the last no, 10 ask- minutes on, this was like a fire hose of answers. Wouldn't you say? Yes. I was like mouth open. What was the most shocking to you? That we were pretty much right. (laughs) Ah, I love it. Uh, So, okay. So quickly, our theory was. That the raps had gotten here ahead of somebody else that was even worse than them. So even though they've been hard on us, they thought that this was the only way to protect us. Now, I think the the variation that that the that the click explained was more like that the the raps were on the run themselves. Like they weren't just like some do-gooding force of interstellar heroes coming to save us. They were on the run, they needed help, but it sounds like the the bad guys were coming this way anyway. Right. So we were basically like a good like a good port in the storm and we needed to run to seaside and help. Yes. So, I mean, we were pretty close to dead on there. I mean, I know we didn't like go and post it on Reddit or anything like that to make it like official. No, but I feel you could listen back to it. I mean, I will continue to say that I did think it was possible that humans were behind the raps and I'm still not like abandoning that completely. However, this is pretty definitive that it is, in fact, an alien race. It's funny, right? How... Uh, you know, McGregor tells Katie, we have to follow the vetting process. You know, it's it's protocol, right? What would you expect from me except to follow the steps as outlined for me? And then 
like the day after he gets the gauntlet, he like plugs it into the alien <laughs> and without like really a lot of research into this thing. That or part anything. seemed extremely rushed. And, and again, that whole, like, I think we're working on a timeline here that wraps this up this season that actually doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to the characters or to exactly what would happen right now. But in order to show us everything and give us as many answers as possible, it's like we turn the tape on fast forward. Filmmaking wise, you have to really uh, appreciate how that awkward cold open for the second season when Snyder is brought to the facility where they are trying to revive the rap and they have to wear the, the ear protection. So him going through that process made it so that he could identify the sound of the click coming online and being, be able to identify it for will and the gang. Right. Without that, that would have been like, well, they might've figured it out eventually, but they knew right where to go. Yes. And they were let right in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what did you think? What did you think about the fact that they did burst in on the scene? McGregor totally like hung back and let a bunch of this stuff happen. We were getting solid answers. And then out of nowhere, McGregor's like, shut it down. Well, that what makes that's part of my he's colluding kind of thing. Or, you know, just I can't believe that he just thought that it was all lies and such bullshit that he just couldn't hear any more of it. You know, it seemed so unnatural. You've like, been trying to get this thing to talk for as long as you've had it. That's why we had the gauntlet. What we were running to get the gauntlet for. It says less than a hundred words and you shut it back down. It, it was just strange. Again, I think that we are under this constraint timeline at this point that things are going to get a little bit like, well, I guess we can just sort of just say, I'm really happy that we got a lot of talking out of the machine. Because, again, if they had waited two more episodes to show us anything with that, would we have been annoyed? Probably. This was unexpectedly fast Mm -hmm. that we got to the point of the click talking. But then it was so unnatural to shut it down that it was like, oh, boy, I just I I know they must just need to show us so much more, you You know, know, and that they have to hurry it up. This next episode is going to be Kate, Katie whining at McGregor. Why can't we turn him back on? (laughs) I know how to turn him on. I know how to turn him on. Right. (laughs) Let me turn him on. Oh my gosh. Well, you guys, I am excited about the fact that we are getting a ton of answers. I'm excited about the fact that we are moving so quickly. I encourage all of you guys, just like us, to sort of overlook the amount of um, sort of illogical and fairly unreasonable fast forward feeling of some of this stuff because I do think that they're just so eager to tell their whole story that it's important that they we just sort of like ignore it right now. The compression of time is like a big deal in TV. Game of Thrones would not work <laughs> if, if they observed the how long it took people to move around continents, you know? Yeah, it's just the in this particular case, so much of this show is based on the finesse of the interaction between characters, the way that Snyder approaches someone, the way that Will and Katie need to hide in plain sight. There's so much to it that to rush that or to make that seem very unnatural 
is going to disrupt the show. Like as a viewer, it's going to make you feel like the whole idea of being a resistor or a collaborator and be able to kind of sneak under the radar and be able to do this in a very agile way. It's impossible if now we're just running at breakneck speed. There, There is no finesse anymore. We're just knocking stuff over and running, you mm-hmm, know? And so mm-hmm. I do understand that. And we are going to lose that, those subtleties. And I hope that in the process, we don't lose what made those individual characters and those individual choices. Do you, do you choose to collaborate? Do you choose to resist? Do you choose to play it more like Snyder? There, you're going to lose the subtlety of those choices if you just start being like, well, everyone is just running forward. So that's what I'm concerned about. And I hope that we can retain that um, so that we can feel good about the choices that we would have made, you know, because at this point, who cares if you're who you were with? Exactly. You know, because we're all just barging into the room, you know, so it didn't matter that Katie tried to convince them she knew more about the book in the book because Will was in the room just the same as Katie. So then there was no subtlety in it you know there was no convincing that actually happened right i mean when they when they pick up the pieces after this and they have a little after action review uh, aren't they going to be like um you weren't even really mentioned in the book bro uh so how is it that you you know so much about how to talk to these things yeah and he all was that like stuff? leading the questionnaire and again like it it led you to believe that they needed to win over mcgregor in order to get into that room and in the end they just kind of barged in so i, I don't know it's it's a little tricky again I, we need to make the choice to just sort of like say i will forgo the nitpicking for the for this storytelling portion of like i'd like to get more of the big chunks of the story out there um and just understand though that the characters i think are going to suffer for the story plot line because they can't be as natural as they really should be Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that so what do you most look forward to in our next episode paul well hopefully we get uh broussard a little closer to the group here because i Bet we're not very far away from this camp just going to shit. I, I don't know exactly what's gonna what's gonna make that happen, but we're gonna want Broussard very close to the Bowmans when that happens so that we can have that power team up of again of Broussard and, and Will. Um won't happen next episode though. If it does, then that's a lot of time compression there, I think. Uh, let's see what else I want to see what Wayne Brady's character is. And, you know, I don't think we're going to find out much about the, the, the alien structure this, this quickly after seeing it. And since Broussard's heading in the opposite direction from it. So yeah, mostly, mostly those things just getting closer. I think next episode is going to be more set up, less answer fountain. Yeah, I agree with that. So I wonder if how far Broussard could get because they didn't have a vehicle. So they're literally coming on foot and the Bowmans took a car and a train to get to where they are. So, boy, how quickly could Broussard get there? Not very. It wouldn't seem like it, but I don't know. So, well, I look forward to next week and I am hope crossing my fingers that the Bowmans somehow convince McGregor to let them, you know, talk more with the click. Although I do not think I think something very monumental is going to happen. I think the whole camp is going to explode and or cause them all running in different directions pretty quickly here. Like, I don't think this is going to be home base for very long. 
No, I don't get that feeling either. Even though it, you know, from a cost point of view, I'm sure it cost <laughs> a reasonable amount to put together a camp that looked like a real camp, but, and you'd like to get a few episodes out of that, but we'll see. I, I bet you're right. I bet we are not long for this camp. I just don't think that it, it it works so much better when we're on the run or if we're if we're sort of like trying to move the click. I mean, I could absolutely see the Bowmans somehow being in a truck with a Vincent or a McGregor in the back of something trying to get away, you know, mm-hmm. and, and always, you know, it's like on E.T., like the, the always the most exciting parts of the show are when they're trying to move the thing of value you're there when they're actually on the run with it, you know, that's when it's exciting. Not when you're just like, you know, when you're sitting with it at your house and it's playing in your closet, that's not the most like exciting time. It's fun, but it's not the most exciting. So when you put the little guy in your bike basket and you got to start riding through the woods, this is when the shit really starts picking up speed. Mm-hmm. Fast shit, fast shit. Well, thanks you guys so much for listening. Thanks a lot. Listen to us uh, after Colony every week. There's a radio show, SMS on air. You can go to blogtalkradio.com slash so many shows and you'll get a link and you can call in, participate, listen to other Colony fandom luminaries uh, besides ourselves. I'll chat about what they thought of that week's episode. Catch our other podcasts for Westworld and Handmaid's Tale that are going on right now. And go back and check out our podcast for previous seasons of Colony if you want to be in on all of our predictions from the get-go. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.